0: You are invited to register and participate in Orthodox Christian Conversations on Racism, a six-week study of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, Saturday mornings, July 18th through August 29, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 to noon Eastern. Join us as our diverse team of six teachers of the Bible present a chapter-by-chapter reading of Galatians, looking to St. Paul for instruction in these worrisome times fraught with division, social unrest, and deep-seated racism. Our presenters come from different walks of life. They serve as members of the clergy, a police officer, a nurse practitioner, ex-military, a homeschooling mother, and a teacher. Following Father Mark Bulos's book, Toward to the Gentiles, which we will be using as a secondary source, the series will explore St. Paul's letter as a cause for hope in time of peril and a path forward for our country. Each Saturday, a 30-minute presentation will be followed by 30 minutes of discussion with registered participants. Please join us as we turn to Scripture to heal ideological divisions and overcome racism pervasive in our lives, our families, our churches, and our neighborhoods. Register today at OrthodoxServantLeaders.com. You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network.
1: Blessed art thou, O Lord,
2: teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they beheld.
1: Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statute podcast, episode number 44. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 17, verses
2: 1 through 9. At that time Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Our reading today is appointed for the Feast of the Transfiguration uh, on August 6th. Father, would you begin by discussing the significance of this event uh, that is recorded uh, not just here in Matthew, but, but also Mark and Luke's Gospels, and why it is designated as a major feast of the Church
1: yeah so to begin let's talk about the historical context which is also to say the context of the Old Testament at the time of the transfiguration Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Old Testament feast of booths or feast of tabernacles
2: I like that you're beginning with this context uh,
1: with the Old Testament Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, why that feast was celebrated Well, another name for the feast, as it's sometimes translated into English, is the Feast of Shelters. And from this name, you get a better sense of what was meant by booths and why the disciples asked Jesus about making three booths. The booths were little places of shelter. And what happened during that feast was that the people were commemorating what we often call the flight from Egypt. And what is the flight from Egypt? It's essentially the story of Exodus, of God bringing the Israelites out from under the boot of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Of course, we know from the story of Exodus that God did not immediately or directly bring them from Egypt to the land of Canaan. But the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, for a generation. And before they were brought into the Promised Land, they were given the law in the wilderness. And when they wandered in the wilderness, they would set up shelters or booths for the families to live in something that was portable so they could keep moving. Okay, so before we get
2: too far down that road, Father, there was something uh, that you just mentioned uh, that I wanted to highlight and and maybe dig into a little bit further. Uh, You noted that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and received the law there and only later entered the Promised Land. Uh, And you noted that it was not... Uh, direct entrance into Egypt, Uh, if you look at a map, you can see there's no reason uh, that they had to wander that long uh, to get from Egypt to Canaan. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Um, And I've heard you mention this before, uh, I don't think on this podcast, however, so I'd like for you to speak briefly about why the Israelites wandered so long, uh, why they did not directly enter into the Promised Land, and more specifically, uh, why did God give them the law in the wilderness?
1: Yes, good questions, but like you requested, I'll keep it brief right now so as not to get too sidetracked. But in a nutshell, God gives the people the law in the wilderness because he shows them that their true protection is not in living in the promised land. It's not in living behind the walls and gates of the city that provides you with true and eternal protection. The true and eternal protection comes from following God's will wherever you happen to be located. And in the wilderness, you're in an open spot. You're not protected by anything. It's you and nature. Nothing to protect you from the heat of the sun. Nothing to protect you from the wild animals. Nothing really to eat or drink. It's just you and God and the other people and whether you follow God's will. So following God's will is your only hope for eternal salvation.
2: Thanks for the explanation. That's very helpful. Now if we turn back to the Feast of Booths and the, the people wandering in the wilderness... And receiving the law how does that tie back into what we hear in today's story of the transfiguration and
1: the disciples wanting to set up the booths in the book of Leviticus God commands the people to commemorate this biblical event this Exodus by setting up booths comparable to what the Israelites set up in the wilderness and for one week to live in those booths as a remembrance of what God did for them through their ancestors And so that's why the disciples are asking about making the booths. And as a quick side note, I want to point out the importance of the anemnesis, which is a technical term in Greek, meaning the remembrance. We've discussed that a time or two on this podcast. At every divine liturgy, we have a section at the most important time that is called the anemnesis, or again, remembrance. And it's when we call to remembrance all the mighty acts of God that are recorded in Holy Scripture, And it culminates and is fulfilled in our remembrance of the breaking of Christ's body and the spilling of his blood and our participation in that through Holy Communion. And I bring this up because it's an essential Christian, an essential biblical requirement that we must remember, again this technical term, that we must remember what God has done and we must take certain actions to call that to our remembrance and in a sense Participate in that event, and that's exactly what's going on here with the Feast of Booths. Very helpful, Father. Thank you. Now, perhaps you can explain then the significance of the appearance of Moses and Elijah. In the Bible, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, two of the main sections of the Old Testament and the foundation of Scripture. The law, of course, was given to Moses. And delivered to the people so that's why he represents the law and then Elijah represents the prophets and essentially the prophets are the ones reminding the people calling them back to live out not just the rules of God's law but the very spirit of the law and they prophesy about how God will ultimately fulfill his promise to restore not only Israel but in fact all the nations who all have departed from God's way and from God's will so, of course, Jesus is seen by Christians as the fulfillment of the Law and the Prophets because he reconciles the Jews and the Gentiles to God and to one another, and then that's why you have Moses and Elijah appearing here at the Transfiguration. Is, is this then the reason that Jesus shines
2: as bright as light in his face like the sun?
1: Yes, the, the hymns of the Church speak about how he shines with the glory of the Father, and obviously this appearance of Jesus sets him apart from all others I mean obviously it's none of the disciples who appear this way it's only Jesus and it symbolizes the fact that he by living God's will is already glorified and sharing in God's glory and the timing of this event then is of key importance and what do you mean by that uh, regarding the timing well the timing of the transfiguration it occurs before Jesus crucifixion and then obviously uh, before his resurrection and why is that of significance Yeah, so the significance is that we usually think of these things backwards. We tend to think that Jesus was glorified because he was crucified and resurrected. But in fact, that is thinking backwards. The opposite is true. Jesus was crucified because he was glorified and living the will of God. Maybe you can explain a a little further to help us better understand. Sure. So the timing of events is this. First, Jesus is transfigured and shines with God's glory. Second, and shortly thereafter, Jesus comes down from the mountain and is crucified, and then uh, Jesus is raised by God from the dead. Now, in our minds, we tend to think that Jesus is glorified because he was willing to be crucified. What I'm saying is that type of thinking has things backwards. So, to try to be more clear, what I'm saying is that Jesus was already glorified, as the transfiguration proves, before his crucifixion. And it was because he was glorified... That he was willing to be crucified or to go to his death for the sake of not forsaking God and God's will. And so that is a very practical importance for us as Christians. And again, to try to be as clear as possible, what this means is that if we want to share in the glory of God, then we will be willing to be crucified. To put it another way, we are not perfected or sharing in the glory of God until we are willing to suffer shame and humiliation in his name, sticking up for God's will, defending the poor and the needy and the outcast, as Jesus did. And as I repeat again and again and again, Jesus suffered the humiliation before his own fellow religious people against those who were self-righteous and were looked upon favorably in the religious community and by good and decent society. So it wasn't primarily the world that was opposed to Jesus, but rather the self-righteous religious insider. But again, the point and timing of the transfiguration indicate that if one is truly sharing in the glory of God, then one will be crucified, trusting that God will take care of you in the end, just as he did with Jesus by raising him from the dead and reversing the judgment against Jesus by seating him at his right hand as the judge of everyone. Father, really briefly, I believe you mentioned before about how the Orthodox Church
2: calendar recognizes uh, the, the theme that you just presented. Could you explain
1: that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So August 6th, as you mentioned, is the Feast of the Transfiguration on our calendar. And then there's two things that I would point out that clearly tell you the Church is signaling to us the things I mentioned earlier about the connection between transfiguration and crucifixion. And the first thing is that 40 days after the Transfiguration, exactly 40 days, it's the 40th day of Transfiguration, on September 14th, we have the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, where we commemorate Christ's crucifixion and the importance of the symbol of the cross in our lives. Now we know that biblically and historically, this 40 days symbolizes a fulfillment, a completeness just like we said earlier about the 40 years in the wilderness. So this number 40, again, is a fulfillment or a completeness. So the fulfillment or the completeness of the transfiguration, of shining with God's glory, is the crucifixion. And again, one cannot be glorified with God. One cannot be transfigured unless one is willing to accept crucifixion. If you're glorified with God, you will be crucified. And clearly, uh, by saying this, I don't mean a literal crucifixion but figuratively in one way or another accepting shame and humiliation on behalf of doing God's will. And then second one of the main highlight of the Matin service, uh, the morning prayer service in the Orthodox Church is what we call the canon. And normally on a feast the canon is for the feast that we're celebrating. But with transfiguration before transfiguration we've been singing the canon of Transfiguration at Matins for a couple of weeks now. But as soon as we get to the feast itself, instead of singing that uh, canon for Transfiguration, we transition to singing the canon of the cross, and we continue uh, singing that for the 40 days up through the entire Feast of the Cross. So these two things signal to me that the Church is clearly telling us about the connection of Transfiguration to Crucifixion, and that the fulfillment of being shining with God's glory is to be crucified. Last question, Father.
2: Why did Christ tell Peter, James, and John not to tell anyone what occurred until after his resurrection?
1: Yeah, very good question, a common question that people have. And I think there are two main reasons. Uh, Number one, Jesus does not seek worldly fame. He always tries to avoid that out of humility and showing us that following God is not about being famous or popular. In fact, you know, quite the opposite normally. So that's number one. And then number two, the disciples and others would clearly misunderstand. They have to see the rest of Jesus' earthly life play out to understand what his transfiguration meant. They have to see that if we're to be glorified, as I said, then we will be crucified. So it's only after Jesus' crucifixion that they can see and understand the fulfillment of the transfiguration. And of course, all but the Apostle John among the twelve followed in Jesus' footsteps very literally and were martyred. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we examine the significance
2: of the events of the transfiguration of Christ. Father Aaron began by providing some historical context and discussed what is known as the Feast of Booths. This feast commemorated the giving of the law during the period that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, as told in the book of Exodus. The booths that are referenced were shelters that were used during this period. From this reference we can understand why the disciples ask Christ about making booths in today's reading. Father also stressed the importance of the anemnesis, or remembrance, during the Divine Liturgy as a biblical requirement to recall all that God has done for us. We then turn to the appearance of Moses and Elijah, which Father Aaron explained represent the law and the prophets. Furthermore, from the timing at which the transfiguration takes place, we can see that Christ is already glorified, not at his crucifixion, as we might expect. It is because of his glorification that he was willing to be crucified. What does this mean for us? If we want to share in the glory of God, we must be willing to suffer shame and humiliation in his name and follow His will.
0: Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia,
2: alleluia, alleluia, glory, to thee, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia glory to Thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory
1: to Thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to Thee.